another episode of I Bought a Farm. Yes, sir. Episode three this time. Uh, yeah, so we're we're getting these moving now. All right, you've you've got two to chew on. You've Better got some, late than never. You've got some side videos, you know, to go after. Uh, we're we're getting a little bit of a routine here. We've got another guest today, which is cool. But you know, I think one of the things that um, I won't necessarily say was frustrating for me, but uh, was kind of unbeknownst to me going into buying these properties is, first of all, if you finance a piece of ground, um, that uh, lender is going to require some sort of insurance. Um, and it varies by property. Uh, for instance, if you have just a raw piece of land, it may be a small um, liability policy. If it has a structure on it, like uh, my properties do, you will be required to have some sort of uh, structure insurance on on the structures on the property. Um, what I and that seems pretty simple, right? Most of us who own houses have a standard homeowner's insurance policy, and it is unless it's a small home on five hundred acres. Yes, you know, because yep. then how does an insurance policy apply to the rest? of the And property? it doesn't really like and so like my policies only cover the structures on there. That's what the lender cared about. Hey, just cover those structures because you're not going to damage the land enough to like depreciate the value. Perfect. Um, but what I found was hard is that uh, in my case, one of the structures has a wood burner. It's a camp. It's a deer camp. And because that wood burner exists in a structure on that property, most insurance companies wouldn't touch me, wouldn't, wouldn't cover anything, you know, and it was, it was super frustrating. And then I finally got one to do it. And I've got like some old tobacco barns on the property. And they basically said, Hey, uh, those are liabilities. You either have to knock those down or we're canceling your insurance policy. They're 150 years old. I'm not going to knock them down. Like that's a cool piece of the property. And so it took me several loops through the insurance process to figure out like, you know, okay, here's now one, I pay a little higher premium, but they represent farms. That's what they do. They know that they're going to have wood burners. They know that there's going to be old barns on the property. And so like, that's kind of where I'm at, but we're not necessarily focusing on just that aspect today as much as just liability of being a landowner. Um, and it's something that we probably have all neglected in the past, especially if we weren't landowners, if we were on a buddy's property or family property. The fact is, is we were a liability on that property. If something happened to us on that property, you know, there has to be some policy protecting that landowner um, from us suing them, basically. Well, and dude, like over the course of the early 2000s, it seems like it's brought us into an era where like everybody is aware of liability at this point. Mm -hmm. Not only like th that they potentially are, are owning, but also, um, you know, and unfortunately the ability to take advantage of that. Yep. Um, and so that, that can come in the form of like a, a permission hunter, which is something, you know, we're going to talk about today, or even people that don't have permission to be there. Mm -hmm. If somebody <laughs> trespasses onto your land or wanders on there, you know, and, and is injured, you know, ultimately you as the, as the landowner could be held liable for that. So I think that's, that's kind of where we're going to yeah. steer this conversation today. Yep. So we've got, um, Sean Fairbash of the American Hunting Lease Association on. And so Sean's- You did good with that. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, AHLA. <clears throat> Sean's company is kind of unique in two ways. Number one is, uh, and we're going to get into this in the podcast is typically Sean's company is providing people who are looking to lease property with the tools to provide security for that landowner, right? To make them feel comfortable leasing a property to you. Uh, I would assume, and Sean will tell us, you know, part of their business is to hunters who want to provide that to a landowner they're leasing from. Some of that might be to a landowner who's looking to lease his property out directly. 
Um, but the other aspect of it is this new um, vacant land insurance, basically, or liability coverage. And we're going to get into that with Sean because essentially, even if somebody trespasses on your property, if that person gets hurt, you're still liable. It's still your property that they got hurt on, whether they were welcome or not, which in today's society seems ridiculous, but you know it happens more and more. So you know, I think what we're really going to cover with Sean are some of these cool points of opportunities of uh, engaging with landowners even prior to call it selling the or, or buying a property or even that property being on the market. Um, and you and I always say like, we're looking out for deals. I think most of those deals happen prior to that property ever hitting the market. Yeah. Uh, and well, you're right on. This is like one of the early phases of and not every you know, property purchase obviously starts out this way, but a lot of people may be aware of a property that they want to purchase. It's like an aging or an uninterested landowner. Mm -hmm. um, and the first step might be permission, you know, and to obtain that permission, um, you know, you're going to be in a better position if you bring some protection along with you. Because I can tell you right now, mm -hmm. uh, an overwhelming majority of the no's that I get from landowners that I go and ask to hunt is because of their concern with liability. Yeah, fear. And so if your first foot forward is, hey, I've got protection on this already. I'm paying for an insurance uh, policy for, for me to hunt on your mm -hmm. land or anybody else who gives me permission. Man, that's, you know, first of all, impressive that you've done that work to begin with. And mm -hmm. I, I think it's the great start of a relationship that you know, may ultimately end in a purchase. I think it's one block of a no as well, you know, and that they, can't, exactly what they can't come back and say, well, you know, you're not insured. To and it's not a guarantee that they will no. say yes because you have insurance. But, but it's one step in the right direction. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, let's bring Sean on and get into this conversation on the I Bought a Farm podcast. Hey, hey, Sean. How are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing good, man. We appreciate you coming on the Abata Farm podcast. Uh, it's our our third episode, a little early into the into the step on this, but you know, it's really quickly becoming uh, obvious to us, and and we kind of know it. But there's so many facets of land access and land ownership, and and especially we just kind of touched on it open in this podcast. Things around insurance and liability, and and it's something that probably as you know, normal hunters, I don't think most of us even consider insurance and liability. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure most don't. And I think a lot of that pushback on, you know, leasing even in the Midwest for sure is around that lack of understanding or lack of empathy that hunters who possibly have hunted a farm or a property for years are all of a sudden now being asked to, to pay a nominal fee. And it's, it's that lack of understanding. I, that's funny. Well, while you were opening the podcast, I was just reviewing some. I printed off the farm production expenditures report from the USDA um, through July of 2020, which was just put out last year. You know, in Indiana, and I know you guys both own farms in Ohio. Mm -hmm. In Indiana, an average farm in 2020 paid $6,500 in taxes only, um, around 7000 ish in interest only. So, you know, the insurance is another cost, you know, I don't know what it would be depending on what, you, what kind of value your land has, but those costs add up to landowners. Yep. And when you ask a landowner, can I access your property to hunt, whether it's free or leasing or not, you have to empathize with them that you have to take care of what they're concerned with. And the number one thing, it's not revenue, it's liability. Yep. Am I going to lose my farm yep. if I let yep. hunters come out on this property? And so once you understand it, it's, it actually is pretty easy. I mean, that's what we do. Yeah. And I think Jared said it, you know, first, one of the number one things that we hear when we, we go door knocking and asking for permission is usually not uh, a no because they don't want you to hunt. It's a no because of fear of liability. Right. Absolutely. And it's, 
you know, the statistics will bear out that hunting is a safer sport than football or, you know, anything else. But just the, the idea that strangers that they don't know are going to be on their property with weapons is just, you know, it's there's our inherent dangers in letting people on your property. I mean, that's why we have homeowners insurance. There's inherent dangers yep. on having somebody come on my porch, yep. my home. Yep. So, yeah, it's, you know, once that liability is addressed, I've seen and I've talked to enough hunters that say the, the curtain kind of comes down on the, okay, so we can get past the liability. Now let's start working on other things. And once you get past that barrier, it's, it's infinitely easier to get permission. <laughs> Sorry. Excuse wrong pipe. Yeah, wrong pipe. So, Sean, I, I think one thing that's kind of interesting about the American Hunting Lease Association, <clears throat> if I can talk, is that you guys provide tools to, let's say, prospective hunters to engage with landowners. It's, a, it's exactly what we do. Now, this, this all, the genesis of all this started out as hunting leases and leasing, but we've really um, evolved into so much more than that. We are all about access now. We want hunters to have access because I believe, and I, th- I know we as a company here believe, access is the key to growing this sport in the future, right. improving the experience. You know, public ground is fine. I've got scars on my knuckles from, from hunting and hanging. I call it hiking and hunting and hanging and hauling because I had to hike in. I had to <laughs> the hang four, The four ages. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I hunted and then if I killed something, I had to haul it out. So, and I, I mean, that's where I cut my teeth. I still hunt on public ground occasionally. Um, but I understand the older you get, the more you want the experience to be kind of, uh, focused on you alone. Sure. And, and I understand that now I have a grandson. I've got one on the way. I'm looking, I have a lease now that's all mine. It's the first time I've ever leased a place, uh, by myself. And I bit the bullet and I was like, I'm taking this for myself. I'll call the shots. I'll hang the stands and I'll decide, you know, when we go hunt. So, but, but to get back to your point, Jeremy is, yeah, we provide the tools for when you, and you're knocking on doors, mm-hmm. and I, I have something to say about that too, but when you finally get the meeting, you uh, you get a landowner to agree to talk to you, it's no longer enough to offer them to help bail hay. Yeah. That's nice. That's nice. And you can still do that, by the way. <laughs> if you do lease a property, it's okay to still create a relationship with your landowner where, hey, if you've got some wood that needs chopped or stacked or a fence that needs mended, I can take care of that for you too, because not only do you want to lease this property, but you want to lease it again next year and the year after that. Mm-hmm. And the way to do that is to build a relationship. But we want to put in your hands when you do get this meeting, two things. One is a liability policy, or at least the, the idea, the notion and the, the brochure that, hey, listen, landowner, I want to take care of your concerns. I understand the liability concern and I want to, uh, I want to address it with this liability policy. It's $235. That covers up to 500 acres. It's in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's not much, especially when you split it several different ways with you and your buddies and a contract, a lease, an actual hunting lease. Right. So we have the industry standard. So there's nothing that's left out of it. And then there's a, a customizable area that you can also put any, you know, I go, I tell landowners all the time, you lease an access. You're not even leasing your land. You're leasing the access to your property. Mm-hmm. You call the shots. You want ATVs used? Tell them they can use respect. They can use them uh, respectfully to retrieve game, that kind of stuff. You don't want them to camp? Tell them they can't camp. Tell them they can camp, but no campfires. This, the landowner can still make all the rules. And when a hunter goes to them and says, I just want access, I'll play by your rules. 
and you start to kind of tear down those barriers, you're going to get access sooner or later. Now, I'm not saying you're going to do it on the first landowner you talk to, but sooner or later, you're going to get access to a property, to a farm that you want to hunt. Yeah. And I think what's really cool about that is um, the fact is, is you are building a relationship in in a business relationship, really, with that landowner directly you know, and a lot of people listen to this are, are all, you know, on the verge or have just bought land or are thinking about buying land. And, you know, maybe they've had good experiences at with, um, you know, real estate agents locally. Maybe they've had bad experiences. The fact is, is th- there's a chance in, of you acquiring a piece of ground prior to hit hitting the market. And the only way you're going to do that is by building some sort of a, a repertoire and relationship with a direct landowner prior to that happening. And and this is setting you up for that. I mean, the fact that you're giving them the tools to form a, a secure relationship that not only protects them, but protects the landowner to start forming that relationship down the road, you know, to me, that's that's step one in, in understanding that there's a possible further transaction that can happen down the road here. Well, the thing I've learned is that all landowners kind of run in groups. Mm-hmm. All the landowners in an area know one. Yep. So you're exactly right. Once you start, you have a rapport with a landowner and, and over four or five years, he's met your kids or your, your hunting buddies and you've met him and his family. And then sooner or later, he is going to or she is going to say, you know what, I think we're going to sell our property. Or what happens frequently, sadly, is the landowner will pass away and the kids might live out of state. Yep. And they say, you know what, we've got that 150 acres in Indiana and we really don't want it. We'd like to sell it, but you guys have been there for four or five years. You know the farm. You know, we'd like to give you first shot at it. That happens frequently. Mm-hmm. And you're exactly right. The, the thing is, I, I think about leasing or just getting access also is when you have exclusive access to a property and you work on it for four or five years, you really know if you want to own your own property. Yeah. You know, there's a lot that goes into that. I am not um, a huge land manager. I, I frost seeded some clover mm-hmm. um, last weekend. I'm going to remove some limbs. I'll clear some areas. And that's right now. That's really about all I want to do. I got other things to do. There are people in this office that talk all day long about switchgrass and what kind of trees to plant and the habitat. And I can listen to it all all day, but when it comes time to do it, I'm going to find some sheds or I want to hang a tree stand. I want to sit there. It's like being a bow hunter. People are like, Oh, you're, you're an archer. No, I'm a bow hunter. Mm-hmm. I have no idea about FOC or how fast my arrows are traveling. No clue. I know that my arrows are faster than the deer, typically, if I'm on target. But so there's a difference. And it's it's kind of the same way that when you get exclusive access to a property, you'll know pretty quick if you want to own your own property, in particular, if you want to own that property. Yeah. And I think that's a really cool point because, you know, especially in today's market, Jared and I just got done talking to somebody about timber and like trying to understand the value of timber when you're approaching a new piece of ground you know, you don't have enough time to get a consulting forester in there to give you the valuation of what that timber is. The market's so hot that if you look at it and you pass it up tomorrow, there's an offer on it, you know? And so that's kind of the cool thing with this opportunity is if you can build an engaging relationship out of the gate with someone and hunt that property and understand it and be like, man, you know, either it's already there or it's got the potential to go there. You know that it's something that you potentially want to invest. It's truly the try before you buy opportunity. Yeah, it is. And like I said, the the landowners all know each other. So even if your landowner is not ready to sell or wants to sell over a couple of years, he's, you're going to be the first person to hear about, Hey, a buddy of mine, I was talking to 
uh, you know, over coffee the other day, he says he's going to put up his 80 acres. It's just about five minutes from here. Mm-hmm. Told him he might be interested. Those are the connections and the relationships that, that matter if you want to own your own farm. Yeah, that makes sense. So, Sean, when we start thinking about just whether it's a, a lease and or land that that, uh, that somebody owns, I mean, what are the major liabilities that we need to be aware of, you know, on a, on a piece of property? As a landowner? Yes. Um, as a landowner, I think there's natural dangers or liabilities that you need to address. And I tell all my landowners to call. You need to either walk your property with someone if it's possible or have somebody walk it on your behalf. I can't tell you the amount of uh, old abandoned cisterns or wells that I've come on just Mm -hmm. walking around in the woods. Mm -hmm. They're nine, 10 foot drops. And if you're bebopping along with a tree stand on your back one day in the morning before light, you step in a uh, well like that, you're going to break some limbs. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are the kind of, I think those trip hazards, those, those, you know, we don't get, claims that are, are just catastrophic, I guess. Right. Yep. We don't get those. We get people being injured. Um, ATVs, mm-hmm. you know, you've got a mark on your map. What's safe? Where can you travel on an ATV? Where can you not go on an ATV? This all needs to be in the hunting lease agreement, in my opinion. Ponds, of course, you know, if you've got kids out there, you got, you just have to be aware enough to go out, make a map of your property, mark the hazards, and then review all those hazards with your guests or your, your leasees. Mm-hmm. And, you know, other than that, there's, there's not a ton of liability and this liability, by the way, the, the coverage we provide is two ways. Um, I probably have more hunters damaged a landowner claims than the other way around. Uh, irrigation systems tend to get shot accidentally. Um, I've had one livestock accidentally uh, shot um, I think it was from a neighbor that wandered onto a property. Um, and, you know, they think they think it's a deer. Somebody thought, you know, misrepresented or, or mis uh, ID'd it. So those kind of things, it's a it's two way coverage. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me tell you what's not a claim. Fell out of my tree stand. That's probably the one we get the most is I fell out of my tree stand. I broke my ankle. I want to file a claim. Happy to file the claim because we don't make that decision, obviously. Mm-hmm. We have independent adjusters that do that. But my first question to them is, who hung your stand? Well, I did. Okay. So whose fault is it? Well, mine. But I still want to file a claim. And the liability insurance never pays you. Right. Liability is to protect you. Right. So now if uh, you told me, well, a landowner hung that stand, he told me I should go sit in it. And about the time I was on the eighth step, it just collapsed. and I broke both my legs. You have a valid claim. That's very reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what you know. The insurance covers. It's, it protects hunters and landowners both, not just from injury but damage to the other personal property. Uh, prep is another good one. Um, we were out weed eating. Mm-hmm. We were out, you know, just cutting weeds and, and tall grass. And my my buddy accidentally cut my leg with the weed eater. And so you know, I like to file a claim. There is member to member coverage, even against you know each other. So it's a comprehensive sure. package that you know it takes care of everyone's liability. How about on the um, how about on the food plot side? You know, one of the things when I bought my property that the um, like the the insurance people that I were work was working with brought up was if I was going to cash rent or or if anybody was going to farm the the property and I said, well, no, it's just me planting food plots, and they made that seem like the the 
the farming side was a very big issue if it ever came up because I would assume of use of tractor and tractor accidents and things like that. Well, if you're leasing farming rights or something like that, it's really, it is a completely different game. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's really important on our contract and any contract that you discern between leasing the rights to access and then leasing the land. Gotcha. Leasing the land throws you into a, a, there's a tenancy laws and typically you have to be a real estate agent to lease land like that. So it's not just the liability. It's also the, the legality of leasing for farming rights or farming the land yeah. as opposed to just the rights. And we're, we're crystal clear. This is just access. It's all you're leasing. I was going to say, I think that's a really cool point because how many times I, and I, I, I myself am guilty of it say like, yeah, I'm leasing this piece of ground. I'm not, I'm leasing the rights to hunt that piece of ground. I'm not leasing that piece of ground, but it, it's just the way that we talk and the way that we, we observe things. But, you know, I would think that the, a bunch of people listening to this, truly think like, well, no, I'm, I pay that guy to lease that ground. You don't, you, you lease the rights to hunt that area. I think speaking technically too, like, I think a a lot of people refer to their hunters as leasers. Yes. And they're leasees, right? Yes. Yeah. Technically the leaseor is the landowner. The landowner. Yeah. 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 I I don't know anybody that says that correctly. Yes. Correct. Yeah. And it, Um, yeah, it seems like a really big thing because I know that as a, as a person who leases the hunting rights, right? Jared, you and I have leased plenty of land together where we could go in and plant food plots if we wanted to. We have that permission from the landowner. Yeah. You know, how does something like that get covered? Planting the food plots? Yeah. It's, that's completely covered under the less, you know, in a hunting lease liability. That's not a problem. Gotcha. You can have any liability from the use of tractors or farm implementations or mobile equipment is completely covered, gotcha. which includes food plots. So yeah, that's not excluded. The The liability is called the, the commercial general liability policy. It's the same policy pretty much all around the country. It's just tailored by exclusions and by certain endorsements. So when I started doing this, when I learned about, you know, what it all, how it all worked, it's kind of like the ragu. Remember the, the, the old commercial for ragu spaghetti sauce? Mm-hmm. It's, oh, it's in there. Yeah, it's in there. The, or, the, the garlic, <laughs> it's in there. The tomatoes are in there. The liability coverage in this country is if it's not excluded by the policy, it's covered. If it doesn't expressly say we don't cover that, then it is covered. It's kind of strange, but that's their rules. Oh, that's, I just, that's good. I, no, I, I mean, file. yeah, I mean, I think that's the way to do it. Um, Sean, you mentioned it was $235. I assume that's, is that annually? And I guess Mm -hmm. that's annually. And is that for a single, uh, how is that tied to like a landowner or a hunter? Um, does that rope in as many or as few hunters and or landowners as I want it to? That's that's such a good question. So for $235, and again, that's up to 499 acres. And then we have, you know, it's, there's a, a pricing structure, but everybody, you have to have a hunting lease agreement on file. You don't have to give it to us, but if you have a claim, the first thing the adjuster is going to ask for is, I need to see your hunting lease. So there and needs then, to be there needs to be a physical lease agreement. This, yep. this can't take Absolutely. place only under permission. Correct. No, the, for a hunting lease, it need, you have to have a written lease agreement in place. Interesting. And I'll be honest with you, Jared, it can be written on the back of a napkin. Sure. It doesn't have to be anything you know overly legal, but you okay. do have to have a written agreement. Every hunter that is listed on that hunting lease is covered. Could, could it, in theory, Sean, I'm just going to ask as you're going through here, could, could sure. it essentially be written permission? With what, what would constitute a, a lease? Does there need to be, you know, monies exchanged or? 
for hunting lease insurance, there needs to be some compensation. It could be a nickel. Okay. Got it. And, you know, before we had vacant land, yeah, we could, you can, it could be for anything, any kind of compensation, but everybody that's listed on the lease is fully covered. And so is the landowner for the property that's listed on the lease agreement. Mm-hmm. And to answer your other question, you could put seven landowners for no additional charge. And I'm going to be kind of salesy right here. All the other competitors that we have that are about three of them, um, they'll charge you a landowner fee. Yep. Some of them are up to $57 for every landowner you have. They're going to add another $57. We, we started this out of a sincere desire to have a positive effect on access and hunting. The landowners are key. They're, the landowners hold the key figuratively and literally he to the future the supply. Yeah. Yeah. And so we understand how important they are. It's not optional for you to include your landowner. The only reason you're buying this coverage is because your landowner told you you had to or you agreed to. So we will add seven landowners and no charge because we understand how important they are, their role in this whole thing is. So we're not going to charge you. We'll never charge you to add a landowner. And you can have, like I said, up to seven on one policy. So we get so many calls all the time. Like, Hey, I picked up another 150 acres. It's owned by somebody else. Do I need another policy? No. Where is it? We'll roll it into the policy. You have no charge. Thanks for everything. And you're on down the road. Anywhere in the country, Sean? Anywhere in the country? Anywhere in the country? Anywhere in the country. Wow. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, we have policies in all 50 states now. So oh. it's, you know, and that's just something we've, we really took the, tried to disrupt this industry by replacing yeah. the print, the, the application and download it and fill it out and mail it in with a check. Ours is completely digital. You're welcome to call in if you like. We can take care of you that way. But overall, yeah, it's anywhere in the country and it's a 10 minute process. So it's really, really simple. And so seven landowners is the limit. How about on the hunter side? How many hunters can I have on a policy? No limit. No limit. However many you can put on that. We've got hunt clubs in Georgia and Alabama have 200 members and they lease, you know, seven, 8,000 acres. Hmm. And that's, you know, that's the difference. If you want want to talk about the difference between leasing and uh, in the Midwest and the East compared to the South, you know, you guys probably know the South is where it started. Oh, yeah. And those hunt clubs have been around for a century. Yep. And they are going to hunt. doesn't matter what the economy is like. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. They're hunting every year. They're going to pay their fees. They're going to renew their insurance. And that's just the way it is. And I've talked to you guys in the South who say, uh, you know, and I'll tell them, yeah, guys in the Midwest have a little pushback sometimes on leasing. What do you mean? How the hell do they hunt if they're not leasing? Right. Well, it's a little different. You know, it's been a different ballpark. A different yeah. Ball game. What's but, a, I was going to ask about um, <clears throat> amounts of coverage. Like it, it sounds like it's a fixed rate for the policy. So like, what is the amount of coverage? So it's a $1 million per occurrence. So, and then 2 million aggregate. So if you have one incident, you have up to a $1 million coverage protection uh, as a landowner or the hunters. And then you can have up to $2 million per policy. Now this policy also has a duty to defend. So if you get sued, by anybody, mm-hmm. they have the, the this policy has the duty to defend you in court, and then any of those costs do not go towards the million or the two million. That's that's above and beyond. Got it. But we've uh, recently, over the last two years, have had landowners requiring more coverage. They want two million per occurrence. So about this time last year, we introduced another policy. It's still hunting lease policy, but it is a two million per occurrence, two million dollar aggregate. Basically the same policy. You can just, you can get all your money on one occurrence and it's been, it's been pretty popular, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I could see a lot of people wanting, you know, for the nominal amount that they would pay per year, 
you know, to have that extra cushion, right? And it's just a, it's a mental thing, right? Just so that mental protection's there from that that two million on an occurrence. Well, it's a, dude, it's a valuable asset to protect. I mean, if you own five hundred acres yeah. with a home and all these, you know, livestock on it, you know, that's a there's a lot lot to risk there. Well, and and I think one thing that's kind of interesting that you know maybe even the the three of us don't even look at that often, but it's been kind of just floating in the back of my head is the fact that you know as like I'm I'm kind of on that pathway now of investing into more properties. I just I'd rather own land and own a property and a tangible piece, and you know still have some paper funds, but like this is where I want to invest. You know, ultimately, when we talk about it all the time, you can only hunt so many pieces of ground, right? Eventually, you're just stretched too thin that you can't be efficient on it. For the rate that that most property, especially good deer property, is leasing out anymore, you know, hell, you may not want to sell that property this year. You can't hunt it. Why wouldn't you lease it at thirty bucks an acre to someone and have this, co- you know, need this coverage to protect you on it? You know, you could make half of your yearly mortgage out of just a hunting lease anymore on some of these places. Um, you know, and I, I think that's something that people don't think about, especially if you're an absentee landowner and owning out of state, you know, if you're in Iowa or Kansas or something where it's not a guaranteed draw anymore and you own land, you know, you may be needing something like this so that the, the years you don't draw up, you can at least lease it out and make a ton of money back. Because as you said, Sean, you know, you've got all these hard costs and taxes and, and interest and everything else that you're going to be paying out of pocket. You know, I think guides and outfitters do that quite a bit too. They might have 15 or 20 leases in an area yep. and kind of rotate them through not, you know, we're not going to hunt that this year or we can't get to that one this year for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And then they can recoup their leasing costs by leasing it out. So yep. yeah, their landowners do the same thing. Um, we're seeing more and more absentee landowners. You guys know the real estate market last year went berserk. Yep. Um, yep. I actually lost both my leases last year and one in Indiana, one in Kentucky. Uh, because the property sold. Yep. And I, I had a landowner tell me probably five years ago when I leased this place in Kentucky, he said, I'll never sell this place. This is where me and my wife and my family are going to retire. And he was dead set on it until he could double his money in about a five-year investment. Wow. And he called me because I'm so sorry, but I have to, I have to sell this, you know? Crazy. So, you do. Yeah, you have to. That's nuts, man. I mean, that that is the realization of kind of where we're at. And, and you talk about the access and the opportunities and stuff. And, and because that market is so crazy, you know, if you're, if you're in an area, like, let's say you're, here's your core area, uh, my my house, everywhere that I want to hunt within 40 minutes of, of my house, right. You're going to start to know those people and know those landowners more. You know, ultimately, if you're waiting for a property to come on the market, there's going to be very few that hit the market. And when they do, they're going to go fast you're better off like trying to lay this foundation of early relationships and connections just so that you have a foot in the door. Because if that property does go to market or it's uh, intending to, you potentially can intercept it before it does. And ultimately, I, I do still, I just, I think it's important to say I, the landowner and the, for their own best interests, is, it would still be wise to take that to market. I mean, to realize this true market value, yep. um, you know, whether, whether that's a, uh, you know, whether you're going to actually list sure. it or it's going to go to auction, yeah. you know, and, and you can put something in there about this landowner being interested mm-hmm. in it. But as you know, as a landowner, you owe it to yourself to to have that property's true market value realized. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get that from a direct sale to a neighbor. But I think where you get the opportunity from a leasing side is that, and, and I've done this with several places. In fact, my Kentucky place is one is where I have an option of a first right of refusal 100%. to buy. 
hundred as the as the leasee. You got it right yeah. of the property. I have first right of refusal to buy. Now they may say, "Yeah, I want a million dollars for it," and I'm like, "Well, good luck. I can't 100%. do it." I think that's the important distinction is that you know even I've with that relationship, you know. It, it's a business transaction. Mm-hmm. The, the landowner at the end of the day owes it to themselves and to their property to take that property to market. And I think it's an awesome thing if they can give first right of refusal to somebody who's a current leaser, you know, that they have a relationship you with. Have to, you Lacey, have, I just yeah. see what I just okay. did there. But you have to, and you have to understand that if like Sean, if you've leased this place for five years, you have invested five years yeah. of money into that place and you don't have any equity to show for it. No, you're exactly right. I mean, there's all kind of uh, pluses to, to leasing. Absolutely. Leasing, you know, but but yeah, you're right. When they pull out and they say, "Hey, you're done. Come get your stands." It's it was it was difficult for me to go. In fact, I left. I had a big blind up on a tower that at the time that it was sold was in the middle of a cornfield with ten foot corn all around it. I couldn't get it out. Yeah. So you know those those kind of things happen. But here's the opportunity that I think hunters are going to have in the future because of this. From all the reading that I've done, a lot of the money uh, came from the coasts, east mm-hmm. and the west coast in particular, to buy this land in the Midwest because COVID or whatever it was, they're like, I, we got to get a place where we can go, you know, relax and retire. COVID's gone. These are absentee landowners now, by and large. There's plenty of them. Not everybody, but there's plenty of them. And in the next three to five years, they're either going to realize that hey, we never did go to that place in Kentucky we bought. You know, let's start, let's sell it. Or now's really the time to start reaching out to these folks and to get in front of them before that happens by what you're saying, by maybe offering to lease Mm -hmm. and the way to do that. And I, again, I've kind of come full circle on this for years. I was asked, how can I get permission? What can I say when I knock on the door? I am officially saying, stop knocking on doors. Just stop. When was the last time either one of you had somebody knock on your door in an evening unannounced and uninvited? And you, your, your reaction is anything, but what the, the hell is that? Yeah. That's where we are now. Yes. Yeah. You know, we can debate it, whatever, whether it's good, that's where we are. So when you're knocking on doors, the only people that knock on your door unannounced and uninvited want something from you. Yeah. Or Jehovah Witness. So, what's, <laughs> but you know, they're going to come to the door if they're home, even if they answer it and they're going to, they're just already put off. So you can use now, and, and, and I know people are doing this. In fact, a, a friend of mine just bought 15 acres all woods to build a house on this exact way. Get on Hunt Stand, get on Onyx, yep. uh, get on a, the local GIS site. Look in the area that you want to hunt, and you can identify parcels of land by aerial that you think would look like you could hunt them. And then click on it. There is the landowner information, all of their mailing information, not the phone number typically. You then go to a site like Vistaprint. And you create a postcard with a picture of yourself and who you are and what it is that you're looking for and that you would love to meet them for coffee or lunch somewhere local. And we can have this conversation. You can do that to 100 to 200 times. You will send these out. You'll be in this less than $100. Mm-hmm. Less than 100 bucks. You can make 200 contacts. You get eight that say, yeah, I'd like to talk to you. And then three that say, let's work something out. Now you're choosing between three farms. Yeah. That you wanted to hunt. Yeah. And and look to your point, if they're going to resell these and the real estate industry says they're going to in the mm-hmm. next five years, yep. you're already a step ahead. Or maybe they, like you said, you, they owe it to themselves as business folks to get a return on their investment. That mm-hmm. postcard might lay there for six months. 
they answer the door enough times. And they're like, you know what? They're, we had a postcard from a guy not long ago. Let's call him back. Yeah. And it's just a way to get your name and everything out there and actually start leasing or purchasing the land. Yeah. I'll challenge you on that just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> Sean, I think uh, I appreciate your perspective, obviously. I think that, um, like devil's advocate as, as a landowner, you're not necessarily a knocker though. You're a caller. You, you phone call. If I can, I knock. Wait. If it's close, I knock. If it's, if it's Utah. Yeah. I call. Yeah. Or Dakotas. We call. Or the Dakotas I call. So, <laughs> I, and I think that, uh, and, and I say this as a hunter and as a landowner, like some of the best relationships that I have built have been from those, you know, potentially awkward, you know, conversations of, Hey, I'm on your door at 6 PM on a Sunday afternoon. Um, frankly, most of the time it's, it's on a whim, you know I mean? I'll get this, you know, surge yeah. of, I'm like, I'm going to ask him, I'm going to go to the door, you know? And, and I, I, we talked to a guy this morning that, uh, you know, was somewhat come from one of those relationships. I feel like I, if you could show if you could prove it to me, I would obviously believe you. I would need to see some evidence, but I've never heard of anybody getting permission from sending a, a postcard and a landowner being like, Oh, this guy wants to hunt. He sent me a, you know, a letter maybe. So maybe there's our middle ground. If it's a personal letter, obviously we've had some success mm -hmm. with that. Is that maybe more what you meant? Yeah. My friend that bought 15 acres sent letters. A letter. So it could be postcard, be letter. I guess what I was trying to, uh, to display was just that you can do a great number yeah, yeah, of for sure. contacts sure. for little time, little yep. money. But yeah, letters even better. Maybe it's a postcard that you write yep. on it. That makes sense. You know, gotcha. it's just in that post, all I'm trying to do with that is to initiate that first call. I I'll still come knock on your door, but mm. I want you to be expecting me. I want you to have invited me. Yeah. So now it's yeah. the, the roles that change. The dynamics are completely different. I'm completely with you, Sean. I, th I think like part of my comment there is like, it just has, I just hate to see, even though the world is going that way, it's like, man, what a shame that you can't go and knock on somebody's door and introduce yourself as, Hey, I'm, I'm your neighbor. I'm so-and-so. I don't know if you guys have people bow hunting or not, but you know, because I've had a lot of success with that. I've got a lot of good relationships from that. I hate to see it die off completely. The unfortunate thing is, and it, it not the exact same, but kind of the same is like in some places you don't want to go knock at, and they don't want you to be sure. there. Uh, I'll no give doubt. you a good example. So I was in Kentucky this weekend. I'm literally yeah. On, well, nowhere in Kentucky, obviously. I'm on <laughs> I'm on my edge of the on my side of the property. Right, my neighbor's got property next to me. Um, but I'm, I'm clearly on my side and with the kids too. Yeah. And like all of a sudden, like six rounds of 22s up into the trees. You think that guy's going to call you cause you sent him a postcard. Well, he, he got a visit. <laughs> he got a visit for me, whether he liked it or not after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And cause he was like, well, I thought you were trespassing on my property. And I'm like, so you shot at me. Yeah. He shot at me. Wow. Six, six of them. Unbelievable. And it's like, and it, he, he was worked up by the time that I got to him cause he realized what he did and he realized where we were. And it, you know, it's because he had shit stolen and whatever else. But I mean, the, the, the fact is, is in most cases you're approaching a house in a rural area, yeah. you know, and you just don't know. I, I mean, there's no doubt. There's obviously Sean. You haven't there's, lived until I'm the just gun's been drawn on you. I'm just it, challenging it, you for fun. There are some big advantages, yeah. I think, to, to reaching out sure. prior to be showing up. We had some success no in, in South Dakota just because we would catch farmers coming out from working cattle and stuff and we would stop them you know just briefly on the yeah dude I, sp I spent a lot of time making phone calls prior and dude honestly it saved us because i knew some people sure i called everybody in north dakota we know this guy this guy knows hey, this guy we got a flat tire do you know a guy hey yeah. can we access this piece and and yes it, it worked out i i think what is interesting about <clears throat> the way that 
you know, land ownership is going and, and the way that some of the mindset is from these um, absentee landowners, for sure. Kentucky's an interesting one because even where I'm at, there's been a, a mad rush of people from California buying land. And it's probably because, you know, they're buying little junky houses for a million dollars and they can get land at 1500 bucks an acre where I'm at still. And they're like, this is crazy. Like, I can't believe we can buy all this land for, you know, dirt cheap. But I think to your point, Sean, like, that fad is going to fade here really quick because they're going to realize it's not feasible to still live in California and also have this property in Kentucky. So if you can get out ahead of them, you know, and engage with them and say, Hey, listen, you know, I know while you're here, you, you still have to pay property taxes and you still have expenses and interest and stuff. Like, why don't you lease it to me? You know? And if, you know, if you guys are coming out and you're going to hike the property, just let me know. I really just want to deer hunt it. I don't care about anything else. I think that that puts you in a position because eventually that, that person is going to sell. They're not going to, especially I know where most of these people are buying it. It's a hundred percent sight unseen because had they gone there and realized the other structures that they were buying and they're coming from San Diego or whatever, they would have never bought in that area. Um, yeah. but that's, and it doesn't bother me because like, those are my people. I'm like, Hey, you know, I don't, I don't care. I think I think they're um, they're probably more apt to lease to you or give you permission, one or the other. Yeah. Um, if they're absentee landowners and knocking on doors, you know that's it is tradition. And I get it, and if you're successful at it, by all means, keep doing. It. But you also have to have a person living on the farm you want to hunt to do that. Mm. And most of the time, you know, I always know a good a good hunting farm when I turn down a gravel road. If I in this the lease I have in Southern Indiana, as soon as I turn onto this gravel road. I mean, I'm just grinning from ear to ear. I'm like, okay, yeah. this is the shit. Yeah, I know this is going to be good. But there are no homes back there. But I think they're more apt to lease it to you or give you permission once you start talking about not just the revenue. Because before they realize they're paying all this money and they're wasting their money, they're going to say, how can I recoup some of this money and make a little sure. bit back? Um, but when you start talking about trespassers, if you guys are absentee landowners and you're never out there, I can tell you, I drive by there all the time. There's trash. There's people out there all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, leasing it helps with that tremendously. Yep. I've talked to dozens of landowners who say the For same sure. thing. I thought the money was nice. I had no idea that the trespassing would stop when the same three or four trucks were parked there all the time and they posted it and they know that there's trail cameras out there. Um, or the other thing is, hey, I know you've given permission for the 20 people to hunt back in that area. And typically the landowner is just looking for a way out of that problem. Yeah, I've said yes to so many people now. I've lost control. Yep. Well, I can yep. give you control back. Then Let me give you a couple thousand dollars between me and my buddies. And we'll tell those 20 people for you that, sorry, they can no longer hunt there. We'll take care of that for you. So there's benefits to allowing people to access your farm other yeah. than revenue. Agree. That trail camera comment is an, is an interesting one. I, I don't have the stats obviously in front of us, but I would, I would uh, venture to, to, to bet that trespassing is significantly down since the invention or yeah, you know, yeah. Of, of cellular trail cameras. hundred percent. Um, I also wanted if to, if they're aware of that technology exists. Well, yeah, I think people <laughs> well, are more and more. Let me, let me kind of jump in real quick. Yeah. About six weeks ago, we designed new, we sell no trespassing signs. Yep. Um, we designed new ones. And at the bottom of them, it says cellular cameras in use. There you go. And I was just talking to my admin earlier <clears throat> yesterday, and she said, man, these signs are flying. Yep. Like, really? Mm. I'm like, yep, because that's the, even if they're not in use. Yep. If you're a trespasser, it doesn't matter. You're a, you you're see a lazy that. Slob, 
Yeah. I don't need to mess with that. You like know, that. My picture is going to be sent to the landowner before I even saw the camera. So the guy who shot at me, coincidentally, the first thing he said, he's like, well, you've never seen me on your property, have you? And I was like, no. He's like, because I know you got cellular cameras over there. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Genius. So he shot at me, but, you know, still. Um, I, th- I think it's interesting. Uh, I'll change the subject here a little bit. There's there's like this new emerging market and I want to be careful to not ever, um, you know, say that hunters and landowners, like so, so often in these conversations, we talk about them like, like different people, you know, they're different demographics of people. But I think per what we're seeing in the real estate space, like a lot of hunters are becoming landowners either for the first time or they're expanding, you know, the profile of properties that they own and stuff. And, uh, as the demand for hunting, uh, in certain States has grown, you know, I, I, it seems like there's an emerging market for non-resident hunting landowners that would benefit from leasing their properties. Let's use Iowa as an example, or Huge. Kansas as the you know the demand continues to grow. That even though I own this property and and I enjoy the benefits of land ownership, I, I can't legally go out and hunt it every year. And mm-hmm. so I may want to have people hunting it or overseeing it. Yes, uh, and that's going to require you know obviously back to an insurance policy here, but. Talking about benefits of leasing, I think that's an emerging market that's important that probably a lot of people don't consider. Well, and I think along with that, unlike selling a property is I can pick and choose who leases my property. If I interview you and you seem like a dirtbag, sorry, I'm not leasing it to you. Exactly. On the sell side, I can't because of Fair Housing Act. I can't say I'm well, not dude, gonna sell it to this person. Per, like you per can't, what Sean is can't saying, do that. maybe answer this question for us. And here's a complex one. So I'm a hunter, landowner, I own property in Iowa, I wish, um, and I can't hunt for the next four or five years. That's obviously, well, I don't think that's a reason for me to sell this property. It's an awesome property, it's appraising, but I can't hunt it. And so I want people to go out can I set some kind of standard for the way that that property is hunted all the way down to an age or an antler qualification, uh, you know, for the people that I let hunt? Sure. You, you absolutely, as a landowner, you call all the shots. Now what they're, you know, harvesting, I don't know how you would enforce it unless you right. require it, them it, to pictures. It's only as but, good as you can enforce it. One but, year at a time. Yeah. <laughs> That's how. Yeah. I mean, it, you can say, yeah. You can say bow only. You can say, you know, uh, no turkey hunting because yeah. uh, I've got a nephew that he is going to go out there and turkey hunt. So you can't have it for so turkey dude. season. You can yeah. set all the parameters. So yeah. what, all what, the parameters. what a huge advantage to hunters who are landowners who can't hunt the properties that they own every year. Mm-hmm. You know, not only can you offer insurance, but you can lease these to hunters that have the same standards or are following the standards that you've set. And so now instead of, you know, having no trail camera information, no shed information, no hunting information off of you know, that's not going to reduce the quality of this property by the time you get to come around and hunt it again. You ultimately have all that control and you have the, you know, the coverage now to to do it. Well, I mean, we've, we've had a lot of people who are on the verge of kind of doing what, what we want to do here, which is I want to own a bunch of properties and some of them will be in this state. Some will be be in this state At, at any given time. I'd like to hunt them, but you know, at some point you're not going to be able to hunt all these properties and I think that, and it's kind of just because it's counterintuitive, they're like, well, what? how else can I make money on this property? Lease it out for hunting is how you can make, it, it, you know, and just put the right qualifications in place to where you have, you know, set up the policies as best as possible. And you've vetted the people that, you know, have basically asked to lease the property. You charge a fair amount. And yes, you don't get to hunt that this year. You still can manage it, which is great. You can still plant food plots for these people. 
But ultimately, you're going to collect the money from the hunting lease that year. And hell, man, that might be half of your mortgage for the next year, you know, going into that property again. And if you weren't ready to sell it yet, why not? You know, what? otherwise, it's just sitting there not making any money and you're not hunting it either. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't even bring up the, the obvious advantages of controlling the herd. Exactly. Uh, you know, there's deers you want killed. Um, there, you know, there's the Great trespassing point, Sean. problem. Great yeah. point. So, so, I mean, yeah, there's a ton of advantages to leasing your property that aren't just revenue. And that's why we try and tell, you know, we want all landowners to understand that. It's, it's you know, because again, it just goes back to being having a, a genuine desire to have a positive effect on hunting, you mm-hmm. know, and whether leasing is for you or not, I don't know, but I'm telling you, I do think it's for landowners. And back to kind of the landowner setting the parameters, there is no shortage of hunters. Right. That'll lease your property. No doubt. You can set some crazy parameters, I'm guessing, especially in Iowa. A guy gets drawn kind of a last minute. He goes out there. He can't find a place. You go, hey, this is I can lease it to you just for this two weeks. Now that affects the value of the lease, obviously. Mm-hmm. Well, but you can you can set all the rules and you will find somebody to pay but you I, to lease it. I mean, you see it, though. Like I see um, I see plenty of places in Ohio and Indiana and Kentucky where that landowner will typically shoot their one buck in bow season. And because they don't, nobody else is there hunting it. They'll lease out gun season for five grand and guys will take it. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. Well, and and a lot of, a lot of hunters, you know, myself included, if I wasn't like pursuing a land ownership, I would be pissed about that. I'd be like, Oh, well, you know, all these guys are leasing property for, for so much money. And, but, but if, you know, ultimately the, the rate of that lease gets to a point where I'm like, man, why don't I just consider a down, a down payment on, mm-hmm. you know, purchasing a ground. I think that's what kind of keeps that lease price in check or it keeps the market in check. Mm-hmm. No, again, there are benefits. We've talked about this in the past. Like I can take a, a lease and I can write it off as a business expense, right? I, For I, sure. I have to take depreciation on a piece of land. A hundred percent. There are advantages to And leasing. if it doesn't have structures on it, I'm not getting any depreciation on it, right? So like it, there are definitely advantages to lease um, opportunities on that to look at. But, you know, I think when you start to think about it as a landowner, like, yes, if you have one property and you bought the property, which is most of us, we buy one property, that is our property. We're not going to lease it out. But if you're looking at it as an investment strategy, you know, and I think we even talked, uh, with Dan Perez about this, you know, Dan was talking about different things with using, uh, self-directed IRAs and stuff. And I was like, well, Dan, one of the things you could do is you could lease that out for hunting and, it didn't even cross his mind because he's thinking every property I buy, I want to hunt. Yeah, That's not really the case well, that's, at that's, some point. That's like the barrier that I'm trying to break down with my comment there. So often we think of landowners and hunters as, as different people with different interests. And like, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think more and more, and especially as we move forward, um, you're going to start to see a lot of the same people. And so leasing is definitely an important tool in the tool bag. You know, the most extreme version is sell it, you know, yep. or, or buy another one. But but the way that land's appreciating, you know, do you want to sell it? Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's going to continue to appreciate in value. Like if there's anything, you've bought another piece and you can't hunt this one, you lease it out a year and you start, I mean, the whole goal of land ownership is also to figure out, you know, income producing options with that property. Leasing certainly is one. Yeah. I mean, if in my area and Sean, yours might be different in some of the Indiana places, but like in my area of Kentucky or even Ohio, like cash rent is, is junk, right? Even if I had five bucks an acre, yeah, even if I had a, a decent chunk of tillable, yeah, it's like 50. Yeah. Whereas I can make four times that, you know, on the total acreage by leasing it out for hunting. Mm. 
because I only have this much tillable and I'm leasing out this much for hunting. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can do both, yeah, that's great. That's a, that's a huge amount, but I mean, you have to get creative in that way. Sean, you're with on what he's saying about the, uh, well, was it the self-directed IRA? So mm-hmm. there's going to be chunks of your land that you purchase that you're not able to use. To, to use, like if I if right. I buy it with that, I can't hunt it. And so Jeremy's saying, "Well, we the conversation we had with Dan is consider leasing it. You know, yeah. and especially if you can control the rights to that lease, that's basically like saying, who do you want your neighbors to be?' Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a big one when you talk about big tillable ground chunks, like. You know, I've got guys that have basically looked at, they're like, well, what would I do with it? And I was like, I would lease that cornfield out to goose hunters because yeah. like, I, like I'm not going to sit in the middle of the cornfield necessarily and deer hunt. I may be on the edge, which I can, yeah. but you could lease that out to, to goose hunters or. Which obviously there, it's not always a fit. So people are like, oh, well, I'm hunting the edge of the field, Sure, you know, but it's a tool in the tool bag. There are specific scenarios where it will work yeah, for you. Winky, Winky uses it a lot. It sounds like, yeah, you know, and so I think that, that you have to look at the creativity, but in an overall arching thing that I've always not even paid attention to and now have is the liability aspect of it. Because again, if I'm, if I'm leasing out that little piece of it, now that little piece, that little track has to have uh, a hunting lease insurance policy on it to be able to protect those people that are hunting it as me, the landowner, basically. Oh, you're a, you're a hundred percent right. And when you guys talk about you know, leasing leading to, to land ownership, not always the case. I, and Correct. I don't really know your guys' background. I was born and raised in the city of Indianapolis. I didn't hunt till I was 26 or seven. Um, I've had no aspirations as an Indianapolis fireman. I didn't make great money until, you know, I still don't make great money, but uh, I don't have any aspirations of owning land. And I hear, you know, I've heard the Drury's or Winky or some of those guys say, you know, start with just buying 10 acres or 30 acres. Now I'm 57. I don't have 20 years to build up to the amount of land that I think I would want to hunt. Mm -hmm. And so leasing for me is always going to be preferred, you know, not that I couldn't buy some land, but if it's 50 acres or 70 acres, that's, that's beautiful guys in this office own just that amount. And they love it Mm -hmm. for me. I want 150 to 200 acres that I can drive two hours to away from my home and go down there and spend the weekend. And that's always going to be such a viable when you look at the, the finances of it, to me, that's what I'll probably always do. Yep. I think what will be interesting to your point, Jared, and and just kind of looking at it now is, and Sean, I, I don't know, you, you probably know the demographic more. Most of the landowners who are covered in that insurance policy, I would assume are not hunters, right? They, they have people that are leasing the hunting rights on that property to hunt. Overwhelming majority. And, yep. you know, it's odd. 80% of the, the purchasers, the people who call us are hunters. Yep. So the landowner just says, you got to provide this kind yep. of insurance. And so the hunters go, the hunters look at it yep. or they look for it and they find it and then and they purchase it. The uh, vacant land coverage though is mostly hunters and it's landowners. They call, I bought a hundred acres. I bought 150 acres. I'm going to hunt it with my, my neighbor or yep. my buddy from work. And I need vacant land coverage because I'm not leasing it. Yep. So, you know, they need to vacant land. But somebody's so, yeah, going it's, to, it's, yeah, that makes what, sense. Yeah. What's that? That's not, so you, like, I am hunting it. It is my property, but I'm letting other people on it. I need that coverage. Right. What a, you? What an odd epiphany we had when we realized a couple of years ago, wow, most landowners 
don't lease their land. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you just get in that mindset that we're the hunting lease association. So we're all about leasing, yeah. leasing, leasing. And they're like, there are so there are 20 fold the landowners actually using their land and sharing access, mm-hmm. but also need liability coverage. Yeah. Well, I, I think so Sean, that's kind of changed the game for us. Something yeah. that I had an epiphany last year too, and talking to a bunch of these North Dakota landowners is that uh, and I don't know how far to the east that this would extend, but I, I'm going to say it's a majority of the Midwest, you know, or anywhere that there's like uh, pasture or farming ground. Um, is it seems like for you know historically a lot of hunting asset access has come through um, through crop leasing, basically, mm-hmm. or or pasture leasing. You know, if I'm paying for the right to have my cows on a place, or I'm paying for the right to farm a certain, it, it kind of was unspoken that I'm also and paying tar- for the rights to to hunt that piece of ground. Yep. Yeah, I've heard that. I, I well, I've, I'm probably more aware of the person who leased the farming rights now wants to lease the hunting rights sure. to try and recoup some of the money that they paid for the right to farm the property. Yep. And which, and by the way, just to be clear, we can't cover that. That's a sublease, and we don't. You know, yeah, subleases. Yeah, so, I think that's yeah. an interesting aspect of it because, um, yeah, you're right mm-hmm. in terms of how those kind of. Uh, like I'm buying the bundle of rights here. Like if I'm farming this, then well, I'm, in, I'm in having fact, the chance to control or choose the deer that are harvested out of here. Yeah. In, in fact, it, it may or may not be the case, but it, uh, at one point in time, it's probably not this way anymore, but at one point in time, the majority of like deer lease holders mm-hmm. before that were leasing, you know, were inadvertently just farmers, not necessarily hunters. Sure. They had the, the access to go and do it, but well, I mean, when I grew up here in Western Pennsylvania, uh, one of my buddies worked for one of the largest sweet corn farmers in the area. And basically anywhere that he was farming, we could hunt, you know, and, and it was because like he basically it was it was an ultimatum. He's like, listen, I'm either going to farm your ground and we're going to kill as many deer as we can because they're affecting my harvest or I'm not farming your ground because if you're going to have one guy come in and kill one doe then they're going to mow down my sweet corn every year and it's not worth me doing. And so he, he laid out the ultimatum, which was if I'm farming your ground, we have the hunting rights so that we can harvest as many deer as possible. Yeah. You know, and it makes sense in that, in that, that way, you know, and, and I'm sure most of the landowners didn't know because 15, 20 years ago, you know, people didn't exchange money to lease. You asked for permission or you knew somebody and you got on and that's how you hunted it. You know, now, I mean, this is a big business. Yeah. You know, hunting uh, the, the demand for you know unpressured private land is through the roof you know and whether that's because you're buying or because you're leasing it's because and again it's not that we knock the public land side it's just that you can't control your overall experience on public land because there's other people there that have their own mission in their head of what they're doing mm-hmm. just how it yeah. is i actually i was watching the podcast you had with jeff sturgis and he he touched on the pressure mm-hmm. in particular in that he would rather have no habitat and no pressure as to great habitat and a bunch of pressure. 100%, and you're, yeah. you're exactly right. The control is what you're looking for. Some okay. semblance of control. Mm-hmm. I can control who is on this 160 acres that I'm leasing for the most part when I'm there. Um, and so I know who's been there. I know what stands have been hunted. I know when not to hunt, which is so important. Yep. You know, it's, it's more important than when to hunt. So yeah, that that pressure and that control is what I believe as a hunter is my main benefit to leasing. 
Yeah. Or now, owning. Or owning. Yeah, yeah, sure. Now, the interesting thing to the lease part is because you're only leasing the rights to hunting or access there, there are other activities that are going to happen on that property that are out of your control. Farmers doing this, landowners doing this, you know, and, and that's just part of it. But that's where communication is so key. Like anybody that leases a piece of property and doesn't communicate with the landowner is missing out. Right. Because if you can't communicate with that landowner just to get a repertoire with them and say, hey, you know, usually I only hunt Fridays and Saturdays. That's all I have. Like, I'll be down there next weekend if the weather's good. They at least can anticipate you being easy example. I mean, cows, the way they're moving cows around. And it's like, man, if you have a relationship, you can say, hey, I'm coming out. It's my it's my one week. Would you guys be willing to to pull the cows out of there or, you know, just tell us where they are. You know, so so we can can avoid them. Make a strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We talked earlier about a relationship. That's why you build a relationship. Yeah. Because. Hey, I gave a buddy of mine permission to go cut firewood this weekend. Okay, well, we were going to go hunt this weekend. The worst thing you want to do is get up in a tree stand and have some guy fire up a chainsaw your 100 yards away. Mm-hmm. But the landowner has the right to, to do that. But that relationship you build early on, and you're exactly right, you got to call and email, talk to them, tell them what you're seeing. If they're out there farm, my God, they're the best source of information, especially if they live on the farm. People yeah. think they get that permission, and I'm not going to talk to him because I'm afraid he'll tell me I can't come out here anymore. Well, yeah. if you would just go up and visit, he'll tell you there's a freaking giant buck that comes out of that corner right there under the apple tree about every third night. Yeah. I mean, that's the kind of information you want, and they have it. Sean, I guess one of the last things I have for you is, and, and maybe this is even in your personal case, when you engaged in a lease, I assume most of them are, are yearly leases, um, and then that property sold. Is there something in the agreements that talk about if the property sells, like, am I prorated my money back? Does the new landowner have the option to uh, accept my lease? I guess something along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. And my leases have, have been through base camp leasing. Yep. And there is something in the contract that says if the property is sold, that it'll be prorated. That tip depends a lot on how much I've been able to use sure. the, the property, but typically Basecamp does a really nice job of, of going to the landowner and coming to an agreement on what you owe them back. Yeah. And it's never been an issue for me, obviously, but yeah, uh, I think they do. A, I think they do a great job. Yeah. I think it's interesting because like um, there, there were a couple properties that I had looked at that had people that were leasing on it and it was a good way for me to engage with them. And, and one of the groups didn't want to talk, but the other one was, you know, pretty open about what they'd seen. And, and, you know, one of them was just a big turkey hunter. And frankly, I was like, man, listen, like we could probably, if I ever bought this place, I could probably work something out with you. Cause I don't care. Like go shoot as many turkeys as you want. Um, but I think it's interesting when you look at that. Great point. Right. Great point. When we talk about hunters being, uh, <clears throat> well, landowners or yeah. people that are interested in leasing their property. Yeah. Dude, if you can just lease the turkey hunting rights, like have at her. I've thought about it even on my, at her. on my new Ohio place. Like I've got one of our buddies Look who at us turning over all kind of rocks. That's interesting. Well, because we talked you about lease mushroom rights. I guarantee you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you I know could, you could lease mushroom hunting. Rights. I know plenty of suckers that would lease my turkey hunting rights. Hundred <laughs> percent, man. And these guys will pay. The, and, it, and it's uh, listen. Some of these guys just have certain passions for things like turkey. Like they live to turkey hunt. They deer hunt, but they live to turkey hunt. I don't. I I like turkey hunting, but I live to deer hunt. And so if they want to come in and they want to you know, lease my turkey hunting for, for the spring, have at it, man. I got plenty of other places to go kill turkey if I want, you know? But it, it is interesting when you break this thing down because far too often I think people just think in their head it's like, well, you know, I might hunt it, but I, I don't know, so I really want to give up the full year. You don't have to. 
You can give up gun season. You can give up bow season. You can give up muzzle litter season. You can give up turkey season. You can split this thing up any Cross which way season. you want. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're right. You're going to get more value for an annual lease That's as it. a landowner. Absolutely. You're going to get more money. Absolutely. But, no doubt. But depends on what you want. You know, we've got people like, ah, I don't want to tell my... I don't want to tell my kids that they can't hunt out there. Well, slice off a piece for them. Yeah. They know what they want to hunt. Yeah. Take off that 50 acres and then lease the other. That's a good, that's a really good point, you know? And, and I think that when you look at that, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I am a land manager, right? So I know I'm busy doing food plots and timber stand improvement here in the spring. Yeah. I'm going to take the kids turkey hunting once or twice, but if I look at it, I might be able to get 2,500 bucks to have people lease my turkey rights on my farm this year. And hell that pays for two months of mortgage. Interesting. Why not? Simple math, isn't it? Simple math, man. Well, Sean, before we let you go, um, where's the best place for everybody to check out the American Hunting Lease Association and and just even in the different plans and and packages that you guys offer? So you can find us at ahuntinglease.org. Very simple. Um, We've got all the, not just the, the policies, we've got all the information the education, the guidance, all that stuff that you might have as a landowner or a hunter that just may not might not know how this exactly works. Not just the coverage, but how leasing works. Um, what are the liabilities? What are your responsibilities? So we, we really want to be um, proactive in promoting that concept, not just selling insurance. And once you become a member, you can you can get coverage for up to 499 acres, like I said, for 235. We have vacant land coverage, we have hunting lease coverage. And we also offer guides and outfitters liability coverage, which uh, has kind of changed the game for guides and outfitters because the insurance industry saw them, saw all guides and outfitters as taking their clients on horseback into the Rocky Mountains for 10 days and then coming back. And basically, I went to them and I was like, that's not the case at all. I got guys in Maryland who yep. meet their clients at a Motel 6 and take them duck hunting for the day and then they bring them back. Yep. And so... We've, we've tried to kind of bridge that gap between what's affordable and what's not, but uh, ahuntinglease.org, everything you need is there, and call us anytime. We're sitting in Indiana. We've got a full staff. Uh, our number is 866-782-6330. We will answer the phone every time, and we will be happy to talk to anybody anytime. Perfect, man. That's awesome. Cool. Well, listen, Sean, we appreciate you being on the About a Farm podcast. Really cool to get into the insurance talk and access and, and all the opportunities that really exist around even just hunting, leases, and land ownership in general. And uh, yeah, man, we'll have to get you back on here as we get closer to the season and see how things are shaping back up. Well, I know insurance talk's not the sexiest conversation you probably have had. That's but all right. I appreciate the opportunity, man. I really do. Thank you so much. All right, buddy. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Sean. Thank you, Sean. All right. Take it easy. Cool. Uh, yeah, good talk. It, it's interesting, you know, because if people listen to us on the hunter side, we're not anti-lease by any means. In fact, we still have several leases in Kansas. I've got one in Kentucky. You know, we've, we let go of a bunch of leases this year in, I guess, response to us wanting to buy more property and use that cash to- We also leased new properties that we've never leased before. Correct. And But I think um, where what I really like with what he's doing at AHLA is he is going to provide you with the tools to make that one-on-one landowner connection. And dude, that is uh, number one. I think that's how you get the better leasing properties uh, because you can walk to somebody who's never leased their property before. Who's not in a conglomerate for leasing and say, oh, lease me the property. Well, and we didn't really get into it, but like I won't lease through, I'm not, we're not going to lease through an organization anymore. Yep. You need to go and seek out landowner relations. I think that's so important. Yeah. Yeah. It's based on that relationship. Yeah. I understand. And it. he's given you the tools for it. 
like to be able to say, hey, before you say anything, yeah. I just want you to know that I've already I've already got yeah. insurance. Here's the certificate. Here's everything. I actually have a legalized agreement for us yes. that you can look through. And if you've got any questions, let me know. So, so I like that a lot. You know, it's it's it is a shame that we're not in a world anymore where you can go knock on a door, say, hey, can I hunt? They say, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or even before that, yep. it's just nobody posted, and it was it was what it was. But I, I appreciate you know what what Sean's company is offering here, and that it's like now in the, today's day and age, we can still go and get permission. It, mm-hmm. it could be in the form of a lease. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the you know the terms of that lease are t- are totally up to you know uh, yep. the landowner and the, and the hunter to to decide on. But you know either way, they're both protected. Um, you know, th- there's a relationship there that's the structured and a document that these guys are providing, and it's it's a valuable resource. I mean, I I think that it is the gateway to buying your dream property. That doesn't mean that it doesn't come up to le- to listing properties and stuff. But listen, the market is competitive. When it hits the market, and you, you're dealing with um, you know, the the bigger market of it being on a real estate listing, you know, it's a high demand marketplace. If you are local to an area and you know a farm you want to buy and you think that it's an aging landowner or something, you better go engage with that person because at some point it's going to hit an open market. And to your point, it's going to find the true value, whether it's via auction or just being on the real estate market. Yeah. You know, so if you want to head that out, you need to probably get in and, and at least try to form a relationship with that property owner before then. Yeah. So. Yes. I think that uh, it's it's interesting, like, as we talk about these things, like, dude, I just realized how dynamic all these situations are. Like, not any one of these things that we're talking about is right for every person or even in every situation. I mean, dude, we're buying, we're leasing. Obviously, there's everything in between. Everything. There's not any one right answer. And so, like, I I know people watch this podcast and be like, well, you know, this doesn't work for me. Or why would you say that? Or this and that. And it's like, dude, just... You know, Open mind. just be aware of these tools, be, you know, listen to these discussions and like, um, you know, just have them in your back pocket to say, Hey, you know, I've, I've heard this discussed, you know, may, maybe this situation, like this landowner is not willing to buy, I really want to buy it, but yeah. Um, yeah, maybe it has to be at least be aware start. of the tools that you can use to ultimately gain what you're, you know, trying to achieve with that. That's it. Well, we appreciate everyone listening to episode three of I Bought a Farm. Um, appreciate Sean showing up and talking liabilities and insurance with us. And we will catch you guys on the next episode. Later. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of the I Bought a Farm podcast, make sure you check it out every other Thursday night on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and any other place that you might find your favorite podcast.